This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. 
It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, welcome back to Film Study. It's Monday night when we're recording, so it's time to break down the defense. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm good. I'm getting ready to uh, take a trip and head on over to Indianapolis tomorrow. Oh, what are you so, going there for? Work. Apparently, uh-huh. apparently, some people still have work conferences. I don't know. It's the first time I've had to go to a work <laughs> conference in uh, many, many months. But That's got, Maureen's hometown, of course, okay. and, and the town that stole the Colts. I've forgiven her personally. Well, but. yeah, I, I checked. It was still cheaper to fly than to take a Mayflower. <laughs> All right. You know, it's still a little too fresh. Uh, you know, 36 years, 37 years. I guess it's been 36. Yeah. All right. I'm not ready All to right. laugh about it just yet. Well, it, come on. We've had two Super Bowls. It's, <laughs> I, I know it's a generational thing. And uh, and Dan's on the line with us. Dan, you look a little bit younger. I don't think you cheered for the Colts or cried when they left (laughs) in uh, Baltimore. I don't think I was conceived of that. I wasn't even conceived back then. (laughs) All right, I I was. I was at least uh, three or four years old then. So, Dan, I have trouble always pronouncing your last name. Of course, the Sunrider, Dan. Oh yeah, Fusi. Oh yeah, Fusi. And that's why I said Dan. Dan. (laughs) Good choice, Dan. I, I I know we've had this conversation before, but you, Baltimore boy. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Baltimore County uh, specifically, yeah. All right, very cool. All right, that's good. Then we'll, we'll know we'll have these local roots to refer to. Well, and yeah. Dan, congrats for signing up for the defense episode this week. I feel like this is <laughs> going to be a whole lot more exciting Most than, than tomorrow's breakdown. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, offense is going to be a, it's going to be a rough one. But hey. Well, and that's the, isn't that the broad takeaway from this game? That the Ravens, like Lamar did not play well. But the Ravens still managed to dominate the game. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it just kind of speaks to the team in itself. Um, you know, there's some games where uh, even last year where, you know, the defense was not at its best, but the offense was so high powered. And it's, it's the same. Uh, it was the same on Sunday with the Bengals where, you know, you can just blitz, blitz, blitz. And uh, Wink was kind of, you know, that was classic Wink right there. Um, right. So it was really a dominant all around effort from the defense. Yeah, hyper aggressive. That's for sure. Really, uh, uh, did a lot more of scheme than he had been doing. Right. And now, Ken, as a as a guy that breaks everything down and every play, all the way down to the kneel downs, how much does losing the shutout bother you? A little bit. All right. And and the way the Ravens lost this shutout was kind of a annoying way to me. Um, hey, it doesn't bother me. The Ravens did not deserve a shutout in this game. They played too poorly offensively through too many interceptable passes in this game. They really didn't deserve a shutout. But then the Bengals got the ball with eight minutes to go, and I figure the Ravens have what I call shutout insurance, is they have a four-touchdown lead. Uh, the Bengals aren't supposed to try to kick a field goal, period, because it's just not done in those situations. On fourth down, fourth and eight, fourth and 17. In fact, you know, a lot of times there's no control group for these things when you're looking at football analytics. But on November 26, 1906, sorry, 2006, seems feels like 1906 almost at this point, the Ravens led the Pittsburgh Steelers by an identical 27 to nothing score in the closing two minutes 
And uh, they, the Steelers faced 4th and 17 at the 30 with a chance to break the shutout with a field goal. They went for it through an interception, and that's, that's the way it's supposed to be done. And I, I literally, I can't remember the last time I saw anybody break a shutout with a field goal like this the way they did. But they drove up the field 11 runs and two passes. So that tells you, you know, they've basically given up on the game. They just were playing for one good drive. They ran the ball on, what was it, third and six, right, the play before, Dan? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, it was a mix-in handoff. And you just thought, or, you know, maybe they're setting up for another last-ditch effort to get in the end zone, and they bring the they bring the field goal unit out. And, yeah, it's funny um, that you say that. I think there was a pro football reference. Um, it was like this was one of only two instances where a team had kicked a field goal to avoid a shutout, like, in the last like, minute of a game. It, it was so oh, funny. that's great. I want to hear that. I want to see that. I, 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 that you, used to, you have a tweet that came out on it then? I'd, yeah, I'd have to find it. But I'll, it was I'll, like, I'll look for it while yeah. we're while you guys are breaking down the game. Love I'll to hear. To, it. I'll try to have it by the end because it is. It's a weird thing because as a fan, it doesn't make. You, if you're a Bengals fan, mm-hmm. it doesn't make you feel any better. Mm-hmm. Does it? It can't make a player feel any better, right? Right. The equivalent is a bunt base hit to break up the no hitter in the ninth inning, <laughs> and you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't make the team feel any better about doing it. The fans of the home team don't even like it. You know, if it's a game-tying home run, maybe they love the fact that the no-hitter got broken up, but they don't really want even a no-hitter to be broken up by a single, most home fans, I think. Uh, you know, they anyway, just kind of chaffs me here a little bit, but we'll get, we'll get through All right. this. All right, well, one more thing before we really break into the game, and it was last week we adjusted and, and had to talk about the COVID news moving the Steelers-Ravens game. Then Sunday they kind of put out a press release. It seemed like it came out during the games. We're kind of buried in there that they're shifting all types of games around. How does this affect the Ravens? Their games aren't affected, but the schedule's affected. Yeah, the schedule, for starters, the schedule's lost a lot of flexibility. Once they've moved this many games and they had to move a bunch to get a second matchup the way they wanted it, um, then, you know, it's real, it's, there'll be real trouble if there's another game that has to be moved. So they'll, they're at a point where they're going to have to start adding weeks and, and doing things to get the, get the schedule finished. Did the NFL make a mistake by not planning ahead of time, like a two-by-week season? Or three. To make some, or three, <laughs> something to bring in some flexibility, where they tried to play it like a normal season without the preseason? A uh, mistake, I mean, they, they, they told everybody, I think, up front that there was a good chance they were going to have to add weeks to the season as it went on, and people are going to have to be flexible. So I wouldn't be surprised if they add a by-week, week 11, week 12, week 13 kind of thing, and then one at the end of the season – to try and get through as many of these games as possible. And in football, relatively few games have zero impact on the playoffs all the way to the final week. Uh, you know, there, there'll be a handful in the final week that don't, but it's, but it's not, it's not that many. Right. But if they're going to extend the season, they're going to want to do that like this week, next week, pretty soon because, uh, Florida and Tampa has already announced they can fill that place up for the Super Bowl. Terrible so idea. Not want, they're not, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm not getting into the, the politics of it. I'm just stating the fact that the NFL can make a whole lot of money Super Bowl weekend in Tampa. So you think they're going to want to nail that week down at some point soon? Yeah. But Dan, what's your take on this? At the, you know, at the Sun, do you guys talk about what's going to happen with the COVID season? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think if, if we've learned anything over the past six, seven months, we, we know that everything is very fluid. Um, it's very hard to plan um, long-term because what you plan for 
in a week or two might be scrapped. So we've uh, we've we've really taken it as like a week by week approach in terms of everything from travel to what we're writing and whatnot. Um, it is a little tougher. Everyone has to adjust, you know, not only the teams but the the people that cover the teams. Um, and that that's, it really is like you know when you when you hear coaches. Um, Kind of, it's kind of coach speak when you talk about, uh, you know, we're taking it day by day. That, that's, that's that's true for them, and it's true for us as well. Are you Are traveling you... for the games now? That was your question too, Josh. Yeah, same question. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go to Houston. Only only Jonas did. I'm probably not going to go to Philly just because uh, it's different with no a locker room access. You know, you're essentially just watching from the press box there. So the, the mm-hmm. reward isn't, isn't uh, as much there anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's get let's get into the the fun side of this game, the defense. Right. Uh, let's, I'll just start us off here. Very complete defensive effort in this game. They just they succeeded at every level of the defense in playing well. Obviously, the defensive line played well, controlled gaps, did the things they were supposed to do. I thought the the linebackers all played pretty well, with maybe one exception, and the secondary was terrific. Yeah, I agree as well. I mean, um, I know this was the type of game where you're facing a rookie quarterback, you're facing an offensive line that's not that good, so you want to make them uncomfortable as possible. Um, they threw, they threw the, the the whole textbook at him, and um, you know, they showed early on that they weren't able to adjust to it, and they just uh, kept on going. Whether it was the DB blitzes or some exotic looks and whatnot, I mean, we saw when you see the amount of players that got a sack, you know, that that shows, you know, they were just getting everybody in on the fun. Right. I, th- I think there was definitely some scheming for that. I want to get back to that a little bit later in terms of our pass rush talk. But before we get into that, one of the surprising things about the inactive list was that there were two defensive linemen on it. Broderick Washington didn't suit up and Justin Ellis didn't. That left the Ravens with just four defensive linemen. One of them is Matabike, who's coming back for his first action. So I guess they were fairly comfortable that the knee was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this was a guy that they were um, really eager to to get in the in the fold, a third round pick who was coming, he was coming on strong in training camp until that that late uh, knee injury. So yeah, I mean they obviously had a lot of faith in him, and obviously given the personnel of the Bengals, you know they have a a good trio, kind of quartet of wide receivers. Um, you know, kind of wanted to stack up more on defensive backs in this uh, in this instance. Right, the Bengals are a team that obviously knows the Ravens pretty well. I was a little fearful that they might really try and go heavy in this game and try and wear out a very limited defensive line because, it, you know, it's, a, it's something that can be done. Now, not everybody can just line up and play power football. Yeah. And, you know, the Bengals obviously have a lot of weaknesses there, but they put a sixth offensive lineman in three times, uh, and they, they used 12 personnel a little bit. I want to say it was about 10 snaps when you look at the total of tight end snaps and subtract the, the number of base snaps. Uh, but it, it, they really did not make the effort that I expected to go heavy against the Ravens really run the football. And when they did run the football, they obviously weren't very successful. Yeah, they didn't. And I think um, I was a little confused even in the kind of the game plan, um, you know, the types of plays that they ran. Um, the past the prior two weeks, we saw a lot of screens and short passing game mm-hmm. from the Chiefs and even even the Washington football team but with their young quarterback. But you didn't see as much as that. Um, you know, they're really trying to play to their strengths, which was obviously Joe Burrow as a as a young but kind of mature for his age passer and a good, um, good uh, group of wide receivers. Right. Uh, there, there was definitely a lot already in place to fear about Joe Burrow. He had a lot of success on intermediate passes. I got asked the question before the show is, would it have been a good idea to toss in some screen passes at the beginning if you were Cincinnati's offensive coordinator to try and get the defense back on its heels, back from constantly pressuring the pocket? And one of the interesting things about this game is the Ravens really opened up with some pass rushes that weren't all that exotic. They, had, they started the game with 
seven consecutive four-man rushes, mm-hmm. and there was only one blitz and one stunt in that group in terms of deception. So really pretty pretty vanilla stuff on yeah. the first seven snaps. Yeah, it looked like they were just kind of trying to feel things out. You know, you're, you're facing a rookie quarterback for the first time. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, they were able to get to him early and often. And, you know, once you're able to get with them with four, I mean, why not bring more and, uh, you know, up, ante it up? It's interesting because there's different things of schools of thought on that. If somebody says, once you get to him with four, just keep rushing four. You got it. But if you're Rex Ryan, you say, well, once you get him with four, send eight. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's great. I can see you're in the Rex Ryan camp. That's great. Um, one other thing I want to talk about about the roster management here is these rolling practice squad call-ups. The Ravens, one of the things I think it shows that now Dorsey is on the active roster after two weeks of being called up. He's only seen the field about four plays, but but he but he's uh, you know was was called up after two. Then they of course got Gilchrist, which seems to be a really terrific acquisition. I want to talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, played a significant role in the dime defense in this package. They've, you know, they've protected a long snapper. It reminds me of the early days of the salary cap and the early days of the franchise tag, I should say, where it was immediately being applied to top linemen as opposed to quarter franchise quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And so the, the teams that kind of figured that out quickly were really ahead of the game. I just I, I can't continue but be amazed by the Ravens front office and how savvy they've handled this situation. Yeah, this is a unique year and a precedented year, and you know you have to kind of um, think ahead of everyone to stay, you know, stay ahead of the curve. And um, kind of like you said, we've seen them um, protect a long snapper. You know, if COVID hits mm-hmm. and you don't, you lose Morgan Cox. I mean, you're you're you know you're you're lost. Um, where we see them keep um, Will Holden, you know, uh, offensive mm-hmm. lineman that they, um, you know, have have some faith in. So you know. You're seeing them keep uh, and protect positions where, you know, there's kind of a scarcity for uh, for competent players across the league, um, offensive linemen, defensive back as well. Yeah, and offensive line, defensive line, both because of the additional type 2 diabetes risk, I think that was a lot of the reason for the opt-outs initially. So there was a disproportionate number of those. The Ravens figured that out, and they've held on to their linemen. They even made a roster move for uh, Tristan Colon Castillo to protect you – know, they didn't protect him. They elevated him from the practice squad, and then they deactivated him this game that's really understanding the rules yeah yeah that's just i mean and i asked uh john harbaugh about that you know probably 30 minutes before they made that move and he said you know that's a strategic strategic reason um it was reported that some afc teams or some teams in the league um were kind of sniffing and trying to sign them off the practice squad so you know you have to protect those guys that you see as valuable all right. Well, anyway, hope the, hopefully the Ravens can stay on top of things as much as they as they need to the rest of the way. Let's talk a little bit about that pass rush because that's the most fun thing about this entire game as far as I'm concerned. And we'll start with the fact that all five of the starting defensive backs had a sack in this game. Just amazing. Yeah, I just I, I, mean, I was wondering, you know, when I saw that on the on the stat sheet a couple of minutes before the game, and I was like, you, you don't see that often, you know, and that just shows to how, you know, how unique this uh, this defense is. It's the Cody Pro Football Reference. There had been only one other team in NFL history who'd had a sack from four different DBs in a in a postseason game, and that happened in the Green Bay Philadelphia game in 2004. Green Bay had had four defensive backs get a sack, and they still lost the game, 20 to 17 <laughs> in overtime. Unbelievable. Yeah. But <laughs> but it had never happened during the regular season, so yeah. the record got bumped from three defensive backs being the most to five in one week absolutely ridiculous i mean uh the only thing i can think of that's kind of even in the same category was when ron hunt and you may not you know that name 
Okay. It sounds yeah, familiar, it, but it might be ahead of my, it might be a little. Oh, it's way before time. your time. <laughs> Baseball player in 1971 got hit by the pitch 50 times, oh, and the next highest in the league was nine. Oof. And uh, there, the the previous record, I forget what it was, but it's in the 20s, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, he just he, he smashed it anyway. This 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 kind of thing. Uh, just an outrageous day, and and obviously by the end of this, it seemed like the Humphrey sack in particular. They were determined to get him a sack before the thing was over. After they 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 got one for everybody else in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, these, when these guys are on the sideline, I mean, they, they can see stats, they they see the stuff on on the scoreboard and whatnot. So of course, at, at that point, you know, we, we heard a lot of times after the game, you know, they're having fun with it. So at that mm-hmm. point, you know, they're just trying to stack it up. Yeah, all kinds of fun, that's for sure. Um, we saw some of the weirdest things you'll ever see in terms of blitzes. We saw a double outside corner blitz. Outside yeah. corner blitzes are tremendously rare. Last year, they ran one double outside corner blitz, and it's the first I'd ever seen. Ever well, seen as a football fan in my I, life. I think I know what game you're referring to. Go ahead, tell me. Was it the Rams game? Yes. Yep. Yes. There we go. And, and who got the sack? Oh, my goodness. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't Jimmy, was it? Jimmy Smith. There we yeah. go. So that time the Rams ran play action in that game, and that really lends itself well to double yeah. outside corner blitzes. And, and, and of course, that worked there. Yeah. In this game, didn't have the benefit of play action. And there was so much push on the in the interior line that they got there anyway. And so yeah. that was a that was really cool to see for the uh, that was the sack by Peters. Yep. That is Peters' first career sack, by the way. I don't know if that got reported anywhere, but yeah. uh, he had never had one before. Yeah. Uh, so some outrageous stuff there. Uh, talk through. I'm going to talk through a few of the other stats here, and then we'll get get to some more discussion about this. Dan, mm-hmm. the Ravens only allowed Burrow seven of 37 ample time and space opportunities. So he dropped back 37 times. Only seven of those 19 percent. Did he have a three-second pocket to throw from? Uh, that included. It often includes a lot of ball-out quick designations where the pocket would have broken down, but it but the ball was out quickly. Not too many in this game. The Ravens actually got a 59% pressure rate uh, per dropback, which is outrageously high, highest yeah. I've seen in, in a long time. Um, one more thing is that the Ravens had been really greasing it up with numbers uh, prior to the Washington game where they only rushed 31% five plus. This game was 17 out of 36, 46% using five plus, And that's uh, in line with their season total today, 45%. So it wasn't like they used a ton of numbers at least, but they did use a fair amount of scheme. And we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nothing to say about that. It's cool. Um, so all elements of deception were ratcheted way up. Uh, they had 19 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. That's more than half, a uh, half a off the line of scrimmage blitz per play where they had been down in the 0.2 and 0.25 range the last couple of weeks, uh, four stunts. Now that's not a lot of stunts, but they got home on three of them, two quarterback hits and a pass defense. So, uh, the, the, thing with stunts is you can't really always assimilate those with a blitz so oftentimes the players on the field will have the ability to call the stunt themselves and there's a video of Clayus Campbell talking about this but he says he can do it but he's not allowed to if there's a blitz on the play otherwise because otherwise they you know they have set responsibilities to set up that blitz and whatnot so he can only he can only call it when he's when the when there's otherwise no blitz that eight drops of two plus from the line of scrimmage those are simulated pressures and this is a I wouldn't say that necessarily bothers Burrow as much as it bothers the offensive line. They have no idea how to how to get their blocking right if there's simulated pressure at the line of scrimmage. It's a very confused offensive line that didn't look like they had it together. 
Yeah, we saw a lot of free rushes, especially on those, like you said, on those simulated pressures where, you know, I think there was one where they blitzed um, Deshaun Elliott and he just went right up the B-gap untouched. Um, there were some plays where I was so surprised. I saw Matthew Judon drop back and he was about 10 yards downfield, uh, you know, uncovered. So they, they did a lot of uh, a lot of unique uh, blitz packages and schemes with, uh, there. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I've, I've, I've noticed in this game was that they lined up Judon and um, Bowser in the in the double A gap look, meaning inside of the outside rushers. It doesn't always mean in the A gap, but it could mean a B gap. But anyway, it's inside the outside rushers. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't like that as much because I think it gives away that those guys are dropping into coverage. But I, still, that being that being the case, I don't think Cincinnati necessarily figured out. But I can tell you right now, anytime I see that, I, I say those guys are dropping into coverage. They're not rushing the passer from the inside. So, yeah. all right, eight plus drops. Uh, eight drops of two plus from the line of scrimmage. Those are those simulated pressures where they're trying to show uh, pressure that they don't necessarily bring the whole thing. They can, but most of the time, they in these cases, they dropped from the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of that have some real good effect. Uh, Clark had one of those on the Peters interception. Anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, they did a good job of just um, disguising a lot of stuff, just giving him different looks. I know there was one case where uh, Deshaun Elliott came on a blitz and he got a sack, and I think I saw Matthew Judon about 10 yards, uh, um, you know, in coverage. So they did a, a, a really good job of those simulated pressures and just giving them different looks throughout the game. Right. Anyway, the other thing I do is I, 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 I log the deceptive blitzes, which are the plays that have two or more deceptive elements. So these are the most tricky that they get and rather than tell you the sum total of these i just want to read off the nine times they did this as these are the most deceptives a pass middle for minus two a sack fumble for minus six incomplete pass a sack for minus nine a sack for minus ten a pass middle for eleven a pass right for three a sack for minus seven a sack for minus eight so nine plays minus 28 yards five sacks one turnover absolute defensive coordinator's dream yeah, he was, I mean, I, I don't know, I can't recall a game where Wink was probably having more fun, you know, it's it's probably been a while since, you know, he had that much fun just calling it up. Yeah, they got, they had, it, it does have to be fun for them, doesn't it? Um, you know, it, it's a different pass rush scheme by week. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but they left Haskins kind of to make his own mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, left him in a, in a generally a cage to uh, throw screen passes, throw the short crosses. And he had the sh- like the shortest numbers you'll ever see. Until I saw, by the way, Alex Smith's numbers this week, he didn't throw a lot of passes, but his average completion was behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that was, I mean, <laughs> hey, man, when you're coming off first game in two years, I mean, you're just trying to get through it and get, get, uh, you know, get your feet wet again. So, yeah. I don't think they really changed the offense too much from the Haskins offense. I'll just say that with Alex Smith. So uh, slightly different quarterback there. Um, but anyway, I think Martindale's got a great job of tailoring it to each opponent. He didn't he didn't succeed obviously with Mahomes. Mahomes had the answer for every single one of these. Uh, that was the that was the opposite of this game. And the ten deceptive blitzes in the Mahomes game, Mahomes was ten of ten for one fifty six. So that gives you an idea of just how how much this can differ week to week. But yeah. uh, against a young quarterback, this deception really seemed to work. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk about some packages here for a minute, move on to that, and then we can talk whatever we need to. By the way, tangential storytelling, always appreciated, Dan. Jump right in. Don't feel like you need to stay on the topic I'm on exactly. Mm. Uh, But packages, we'll start with, uh, they did not use the jumbo package at all. They used the base package seven times. Uh, it's It's a package where they had... They use it basically to respond to three offensive linemen being... Sorry, six offensive linemen being on the field, or they use it sometimes 
against 12 personnel, but not always against 12 personnel. So it's a part of it is down in distance, but it's but it's in part there. They could have been forced into the base defense a lot more by the Bengals in this game. If the Bengals would have used heavier personnel, uh, put in Sam Hubbard at fullback is one thing they've done in the past or or used a second tight end more or used a six offensive lineman more. And I think it could have been difficult for the Ravens. Yeah, especially given, you know, their, you know, starting five issues along the offensive line. All right. Um, they're still using an alternate to their base defense when they kind of want the uh, uh, the compromise between the base value against the run and the nickel that they need to cover three receivers. They've been using the jumbo nickel. And so when they use some 11 or in 12 personnel situations, they'll bring in this jumbo nickel where they, where they put three defensive linemen on the field still, but rather than take a defensive back out of, the, out of there to, to get the third offensive lineman, to get the third defensive lineman, I should say, they take an inside linebacker out and they play with just one. And in each of those cases, they played it six times. Queen was the guy. Uh, those six plays went for 41 yards total during those on those, on those plays. All right. Next thing, standard nickel. They played that 31 times. Standard nickel is the base defense that every NFL team uses to respond to 11 personnel on early downs. You would you respond maybe with a dime if it were a you know third and long or even a second and long maybe or end of half you know those kind of situations. But otherwise, use the standard nickel on an early down when you're not 100 percent sure whether the other team's going to run or pass. And it's it's the most important defense to play well in one sense that you play it the most. It's not, not the most important defense to play well, some teams might say, because it's also not the highest leverage downs. But the Ravens really dominated with the standard nickel in this game. 31 plays, 106 yards, 3.4 yards per play. They got three other sacks with the standard nickel, and they held the, um, held the Bengals to 2.9 yards per carry on those plays. Yeah, in terms of coverage, this is where having, you know, three solid starting cornerbacks comes into play and just helps you a lot with what you can do. Yeah, you certainly, you trust those guys, and then you, uh, the Ravens have just done a great job with their, their core six players always being good enough to, to you know, throw a six-man box at the opponent in 11 personnel and stop the run very effectively. Most offensive coordinators are thinking, I can force the other team to put a third cornerback on the field and give my running game an advantage because they don't really use a fullback or a tight end to block. They just want to spread the field. But in this case, you know, the Ravens historically, uh, really, and I'm glad to see them returning to it, you know, these last couple of weeks, uh, are just, have just been outstanding at stopping the, the run with that standard nickel. All right. Now, as good as the nickel story was, the dime story was even better. They played 21 snaps of dime defense. That's six defensive backs. They have a couple different alignments of it. They did not play any race car this week, which is a four outside linebacker package uh, with one defensive lineman. By the way, Dan, if you want a takeaway for this, I'd love to hear the answer to. I'd love to hear what the Ravens call their four outside linebacker and six defensive back package. Okay, I, I've been calling it race car, but but you know that, and now I've got everybody else calling it that way. But I'd love to hear what they do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they may not I'm tell gonna, you. But... I, yeah, I was gonna say I might have to ask Wink one day. I don't know if he told me on a conference call, but maybe if I get him one on one, you never know. All right, I think if it's just terminology, it shouldn't be a problem. But who knows? Maybe it is. Uh, <laughs> anyway, total of uh, what was it? Twenty-one snaps of dime, only thirty-seven total yards. Uh, it, 
to look at it in terms of the defensive wins here, they, they stopped the Bengals 12 times on third and fourth down and allowed just two conversions, which is a big difference from a couple of weeks ago against the Chiefs. And in terms of defensive wins, on the other seven times they used it, which was early downs, all seven of those were defensive wins by the Football Outsiders formula, meaning they didn't get the percentage of the yards to gain uh, that they would have expected to for the offense to win on any of those seven plays. So remarkable day for the dime defense. Uh, and generally speaking, just package-wise, I think Wink had it pretty well squared away uh, all over the board in this game. Yeah, I was really intrigued with this um, package just given, obviously, uh, Marcus Gilchrist getting the, the call-up for this game. They used them in a lot of those uh, situations. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I forgot to mention it, that Jimmy Smith's role really changed in this game, didn't it? Because Marcus Gilchrist brought up is the new deep safety in the dime. And, he, and he, they do a little bit of rotation there, so Elliott gets a few of those deep snaps too, and, and Clark occasionally. But most of the time it was Gilchrist on the back end. That's a major addition because the Ravens really lacked another back-end safety. Yeah, this definitely, I know for this game, it seemed like it was more of a tactical um, change. You know, like I said, they, the, the Bengals have a good trio of wide receivers, especially, you know, some some guys outside in A.J. Green and T. Higgins. So, you know, just knowing that you can put a big corner out there. Obviously, he's been playing in that hybrid role, um, and they had some depth depth issues at safety. So having Gilchrist up there, who's a, who's a veteran guy who's played, uh, started a lot of games, really helps. Dan, what do you know about a, the A.J. Green situation? Because he was in the neighborhood of both interceptions in this game, including the one that was called back uh, that Clark had. And his effort was pedestrian uh on, on both of them <laughs> yes but <laughs> both before in terms of trying to make a play on the ball which might have been difficult in either case but even just tackling I mean, come on get after the get after the guy with the football yeah. and uh and then he was sitting on the bench later in the game they mentioned an injury I, i've heard that the bengals reporters received some caginess some saltiness from the from the coach regarding green and his future there yeah, I mean, obviously, we know last year, I mean, he was out the whole year with an injury. And just from what I've seen watching him before mm-hmm. this game on TV, I mean, he just looked like a guy who's kind of lost a step. Obviously, he's in a rebuilding situation with Cincinnati after so many years there. And, you know, it just seems like, you know, time has kind of run its course. Um, he didn't look very energetic to be out there at all. And you're right. Um, I saw a video of Zach Taylor. Um, they were just kind of peppering him with questions about his injury and just what's been going on. And uh, he just didn't seem very enthusiastic about the situation at all. Uh, it's a, it, hopefully this is something that fans and, and the Twitterverse is full of people who say the Ravens offense has to do something, damn it. We have to fix this offense. Come on, let's go ahead and get a wide receiver. There's, there's so many of them out there. on the. Anyway, just remember, these guys who have been away from the game for a year and they're over 30, they're probably not going to be any good anymore. So you can apply what you've seen from, from A.J. Green here, which there's some effort, but there's also some – lost step and there's some other issues there as well you can apply that to des bryant you can apply it to jerry rice if you want to go sign him or steve largent if you know you want to get him and pass the covid protocols at age 66 Uh, you know it's it's just not a you know a a reasonable thing to try and go after a receiver i think who's been out of the game for any period of time beyond age 30 i don't like ever signing on the free agent wide receiver treadmill period because of the cap implications yeah. But I really don't like it after 30 when they've missed time. No, not at all. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, I know, especially after the offense performances, there's probably some talk about bringing in a guy. Um, I, I don't know too many guys on the, um, you know, free agent free agent uh, market or even a trade market who are really going to provide the immediate impact that the Ravens need at receiver. 
Yeah, I mean, there are going to be a lot of guys on the trade market, which is kind of the good news. But, but it would be, you know, the, the actual, the, the layer that anybody's going to want are those fourth-year players who are about to be a free agent. Because the guys who are already making a lot of money, there's not going to be any real market for them, I don't think, with, with the COVID situation, the cap next year, the fact yeah. that you're, you're spending dollars. Um, but, but I think that there, there probably is draft capital be traded for somebody who doesn't make a whole lot of money right now. So second round, third round, original receiver who's in his fourth year, maybe even his third year, there's, there's a market for that right now, I think. You would think they'd probably want to haul though, and you know, obviously Eric DeCosta and the Ravens are mm-hmm. not they're not the ones to give up uh, high high draft picks. No, there you go. I'm sure they uh, they'll be offering a five for if your franchise player is is coming here. So uh, anyway, great trade. Uh, all right, so let's do this if we would. I know there's probably a lot of players you want to talk about on defense, and, and I have the same. But bring up a player, and then I'll you'll make your points about him. I'll try and respond, and then I'll bring up the next one. We'll alternate like that. Yeah, uh, I guess one guy to start off with is uh, Pranel McPhee. Um, you know, I had the, the game of the year to date, um, maybe his mm-hmm. best game since he came back to mm-hmm. the Ravens last year. I mean, he was we, we got him on a conference call a couple of days before the game, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, so some guys were kind of ticked off about the, about the pass rush. Obviously, they weren't bringing, got, bringing the quarterback down as much as possible. And, um, you know, he, he was really active, um, rushing inside and outside. You know, some of the clips I saw, um, it wasn't. It wasn't just scheme, but it was him individually beating guys one-on-one. So I know that that had to be uh, really good to see. Yeah, honestly, it looked to me like he stepped right out of 2014 for this game. I, th- I agree with you completely. It was his best game since he returned to the Ravens. 2014, I- I've-, I've never been sorrier to lose a player than the loss of McPhee after that season. Because he, even though Dumerville and Suggs, uh, you know, padded their stack totals tremendously it was because they were consistently getting these one-on-one opportunities because McPhee was so dominant on the inside yeah. nobody could cross your face with that thunderous first step like Purnell we saw a lot of that I, I'm not gonna say we thought saw a lot of the thunderous first step in this game we saw a lot of the violent hands that are still there for him yeah. and he's nobody's gonna say he's still got the same step after all the knee problems and whatnot but um, boy the guy can still play football and, and I'm so glad to see him come out with a big game like this and uh, it just they couldn't block him not not at all. All right, my turn to name one. We'll go with uh, let's go with Deshaun Elliott. Now, I loved what he's done in this in in general this year. I'm, I I think we've seen a lot of flash from him on the back end in terms of the range he can have, although he hasn't really made a play yet on the back end. I love when they rotate him what he can do at the line of scrimmage. He's got that very snaky quickness about him that allows him to choose a gap B or C to blitz from. And, you know, obviously if that, if that uh, defensive lineman fans out that offense, that offensive tackle, that's usually creates a good B gap opportunity. Yeah. Lardarius Webb had some of that before, but I really see it from Elliot and it got kind of lost in the shuffle here, but Elliot had three consecutive drive ending pressures, which is unbelievable for a safety to do that. It was pressure, pressure sack on th- to end three straight drives uh, at one point. No, he's done a great job, and we we saw that um against Houston in week two um when he I think it was a fourth down play where I think he may have blitz, he may have been the one to blitz on fourth and short uh maybe getting it mixed up, uh, um and then you know like you said with the kind of rushing up the BC gap that that was referring to that uh, a couple minutes back, um with one of his sacks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember the play. So, so it was like a fourth and one, 
They kind of did between the thirty-five out. and forty-yard line. Yeah, yeah. he kind of did a play-action rollout, and you know he uh, messed up uh, Deshaun Watson's rhythm, and he kind of threw it into the dirt. Yeah, yeah, great play. Your turn. Uh, let's see. Um, I guess we got we got to talk about Patrick Queen. Um, you know he's had a really strong two-game stretch, um, especially after um, the Kansas City game where he struggled a bit. Um, I, I think it's clear through you know a little over a quarter of the season where his strong suits is. Um, you know, he's extremely extremely active. Um, he's, uh, he's a really solid blitzer. Um, great in run support. Um, I think that um, you know we some of the issues in pass coverage we, we didn't see that as much. I think it's kind of twofold. Um, I think that the Bengals probably didn't target him and kind of you know try to get him in those one on one situations with Mixon or Bernard as much as um, they they probably could have. But um, I think the, the biggest thing we can say about him is just he's just extremely active. I mean, the, the sideline to sideline speed that um, you want in a in a in a twenty twenty inside linebacker, uh, he has it. Um, you know, it's, I'm just kind of always impressed by when there's when there's a play to be made, he, he's somewhere there. Whether it's the sack, whether it's um, a tackle, or we saw uh, in the scoop and score, just being around the ball and uh, making that play. Yeah, even the, the the forced fumble, really high motor play where the it was a very extended pocket. It was ample time and space actually for Burrow. One of the you know seven times he had it in the game, and uh, you know he came right off right up his back. It's funny because Maureen and I watched the game and we're trying to record the players as we go rather than have to do it all after the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so there's some of this going on, and so I I, I had the the thing stopped and I saw Queen was like five yards away and and behind Burrow. And I'm like he's gonna sack him. He better go for the club on the shot. He didn't go for the club. It was the weirdest thing. He just went directly into his back, and somehow that ball came loose anyway. But it was it was good to see. Yeah, he just kind of laid, laid a mean shoulder and so on. Yeah. But I mean, that was a that was a, that was a mean it was shoulder. A hit. Hit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, big hit. Uh, yeah, I, I love what he's been doing um, in terms of he's he's a gambling run player. I would define him as right now. He, he, he there's he knows the basic stuff to do in terms of being disciplined on the back end. We saw one such tackle last week for loss. But I think I, I I would not characterize him as a great scheme run defender right now. So he's a playmaking run defender, and I'm, I, I I do really love that about him. Um, what what I was very from introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, blending the smooth creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet Essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. Straight about, and this is really the central point of my piece last week, was how many times other Ravens had used body language at him on the field. It was very clear on the tape. You know, they're pointing at him for, you got to be here. And there was one of those in this game. Fort pointed at him, and he obviously expected him to be somewhere else. I don't know whether he was supposed to be where Fort was mm-hmm. or covering a tight end who was absolutely uncovered on the left side who fortunately the ball didn't go to. Uh, but either way, there's a lot of gesticulation still going on. I think he might have been the guy who was supposed to be covering Mixon on the big miss in this game by Burrow, the overthrow. It was only about seven yards downfield, but it would have been a huge play. It, would, it was op- lots of open space behind him. 
yeah, I'm not sure if that was him, but I mean, he, he talked about it, Um, you know, the week leading up to the game, just uh, he's still kind of getting used to the speed of the game and a lot of the route combinations that you have to, you know, you have to get accustomed to when you're when you're playing uh, coverage in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I separate him from other linebackers because he's he's trying to learn the route combinations in front of him. Like, who do I cover coming off the line of scrimmage from a bunch formation yeah. or how do I stay in my zone and not go for the candy, as he called it? You know, the guy c- cutting in front of me through my zone. Why, why, you know, when do I not chase him kind of thing? Well, anyway, he needs to figure out that. Then there's a whole other layer, which is the you know, things they accused C.J. Mosley of not really understanding, which was a pile of crap, was that he didn't understand the route combinations going on behind him. And, yeah. and that really that's, takes a lot of experience, reading the quarterback, looking at, at, the, at how the receivers lined up the line of scrimmage, just knowing kind of what the possible route combinations they are and where you can go to get in the passing lane and whatnot. That's very complex, and Mosley was actually very good at it. He just was forced to do it all the time with the Ravens. Yeah, we see how good Marcus Peters is that work at that working at kind of like an outside corner position um you know so i can only imagine how hard it is when you're in the center of the defense and you've got all those guys uh coming forward at you and you know crossing by you yeah all right uh let's see you did you did patrick queen so i'll pick one Real happy to see the the debut of Matt Abike. He didn't he didn't make the stat sheet in a lot of ways but the base defense was strong when he was out there he played all early downs only one third down the whole game uh so you know, they use him more as a run defender, not a ton of opportunity to rush the passer, but he did on one of his early plays, his sixth NFL snap. He got the quarterback hit. Just good to see him lay one into a quarterback yeah. early on. And and I think we got a little bit of a view of that big boy speed they like from him. He's about a 483, 40, if I recall, which is lightning quick for a man his size. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Ravens definitely coming into the season, they had a need for um, some, not only Patras, but Patras specifically, um, up up the middle, um, you'd hope maybe Brandon Williams can provide a little bit more. He, he's been trying to get that for years, um, but you know, outside, I mean, really outside of Pernell McPhee and some packages, they really don't have that. So hopefully, he can kind of come on and provide a little bit of a um, impact in the pass rush as well. Yeah, it's it, it's exciting because they really picked up some players who are who are good um, interior stunt guys. And Matt Abike, I think, is an under or an over guy. He can loop or he can be the under guy. Campbell, fantastic under guy and a pretty good over guy. And Wolf, a fantastic under guy. He's he's the guy who really wants to be making first contact, setting somebody else up. We've already seen a couple of times, including Patrick Queen's first sack, where he really looked good doing that. Yeah. All right. Let's see. You you brought that. I brought up Matabike. Your turn now. Yeah. Um. I guess we can do uh, Judon. I mean, I know as the as the franchise tag, sixteen point eight million dollar guy. He's he's uh he's always a source of you know criticism or praise depending on how he plays. Um. I think that. Uh, he had another strong, strong effort. Um, it wasn't the type of game that where you know he racked up a whole bunch of sacks, but I think he got a lot of good pressure. Um, you know, I think sacks is kind of an antiquated. I wrote about it uh, about a week or two ago. Sacks is kind of an antiquated way of uh, you know judging a pass rusher's value, and um, you know him specifically in this system, he's asked to do so much. But we saw a lot of the um, good first step, good pass rush, getting Burrow off off um, you know off kilter. I think there was one where he had Burrow around the neck, and he yeah. uh, you know Burrow was able to escape it, but then he, he chased down the check down to Joe Mixon, where he only got like a two yard gain. Um, again, you know, we saw him drop in coverage a lot and, you know, that's, that's who he is. Um, you know, I saw a good, a piece, uh, I'm blanking on where it was from, so I apologize, but, um, it was just talking about how, uh, 
Judon doesn't get nearly as many of the pass, the pure pass rush situations as some of the some of the best edge rushers uh, mm-hmm. in the league. So I mean, he's in a different situation in in, in Baltimore and in this game specifically. Yeah, and and you know that could be, he could get salty about that in terms of not having the great opportunities because he's definitely a guy that they use in simulated pressure situations to drop the coverage, and oftentimes they're dropping him to coverage so they can blitz a slot corner yeah. or a safety off the edge or whatever, and that's somebody who's who's you know eaten off his plate in a sense in terms of getting the sack totals. But the NFL teams are a lot more savvy than that, I think, in terms of who they sign. And they would look at a player like Judon and understand his scheme value to a defense and, and also what additional value he'd, he'd have if you used him just as a pure pass rusher. Yeah. I, I can't put a complete green light on this game here. He had two very costly defensive offsides. One of yeah. them was really him and Clark on a hard count. Um, I didn't think his pressure rate was nearly enough for a game where he had a I – th- I forget whether it was 20 – He's on the field for 25 pass snaps, I believe, and I think he might have had five drops of coverage that I had, which is it's still a lot. But it's 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 you know he should have had more pressure, I would have think, in a game like this where he's working against literally the two worst tackles in the league. That's you know it's Bobby Hart and Jonah Williams, who's supposed to be good, but is but is a rookie and and you know he's not there yet, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair criticism, and that's also kind of one of the things, you know, you have to take the good with the bad with uh with Judon. You know, he's susceptible to a lot of those uh those kind of like t- silly ticky tack penalties. We saw that a lot when when they play the Chiefs, and you know, he kind of gets a 15 yard personal foul penalty. So you know, you gotta, like I said, you gotta take the good with the bad when it comes to him. All right, big big week last year, obviously, big week last week against Washington. It was last week, right? They had yeah. five quarterback hits. Yeah. 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 All right, so different guy every week. All right, I'm going to talk about Tyus Bowser here for a minute because I thought his game was just terrific. Mm-hmm. He is really doing it all right now because if you look at he he dropped the coverage, I forget it was 10 or 11 times, but, but a terrific day in coverage. Um, he rushed the passer very effectively when he, when he did. He had two quarterback hits. One of them got washed out by penalty. Uh, he had uh, a wonderful game of run defense, and we take notes on every play, of course, as we go through. And one of the things we noted was three really great edge notes during the game for Bowser holding off big men to do it. One time he, he, he stonewalled a pulling guard and just like flipped him away. Uh, it's just the kind of thing you don't see. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought a terrific game of edge setting for Bowser. And we hadn't seen too many great games of that type from him before. Yeah, I think that um, obviously in the, in this fourth year contract year, um, you know you probably you'd probably want to see the the pat the real pass rushing um, pop out, and uh, I think he's tied for the to the team league with two, but he really is developing into that all around linebacker, um, kind of like an every down type linebacker that that you'd like to see. You know, I think he's progressing really well so far this season. What, have you heard any rumors around the castle about a possible early extension of him? I, I haven't personally, but I mean, you know. It, it's always a possibility. I, I know that obviously, um, you know, there there's a lot of guys that are left that are up next. I, I don't know how many people saw the the Marlon Humphrey extension coming at the moment mm-hmm. in which it did. So you know, you never know. Okay, so it seems like there'd be two guys who'd be exceptionally angry and reasons why they wouldn't want to do it in season. Obviously, Judon would be upset if they sign a different Sam linebacker to a to a large contract. It almost certainly means he's gone. <laughs> But yeah. but but the other guy who's who would probably be upset is Ronnie Stanley, who already kind of got cut in line by Humphrey in a sense that he was drafted a year earlier, and, and might have expected to get his contract. And I know, in Stanley's case, it's 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 a it's the word out is that uh, the two sides are fairly far apart at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we saw Laramie Tunsil get about, I think it was over twenty million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's that you know that might be the the floor for for Stanley at this point. Um, that is really that is a that's, that's a big price to play for offensive tackle as as important as they are. Um, I know, I, well, we're still a ways away from you know free agency and you know what could happen. You know, maybe the Ravens could kind of up their price at this point. But I mean, I, I think that they are. Uh, what I sense is that they are far apart right now. Right. I mean, this is a this is a, a, a conversation I always have, but Pat Kerwin also talks about it, is if you're staying late, you're facing two consecutive franchise years before you make the kind of money that Tunsil did. Yeah. So if, the, if he really wants to go there, I mean, it doesn't matter what, you know, Bob, you'll be signed uh, Tunsil for. If the COVID market just won't support that kind of number, there's not going to be any teams with cash this off season, or there's not going to be very many that are going to be able to give Stanley the kind of money he wants. The, the, the contract basis has to be, what would you make in the franchise year the first time? What would you make in the franchise year if we did it to you again? And then what's your market value after that? And I think that really comes in to about a five-year contract at about $100 million. I don't think it's $120 million which is probably what he wants, or even $110 million, which would match the Tunsil amount with two extra years tacked onto it, which would really be cheaper than Tunsil. But I think it's more like $100 million, and, and it's, a, it's just a function of the COVID environment at this point. Yeah, I think we're going to see. I mean, obviously, I think just generally speaking, in normal situations, um, you know, the team, the franchise has a lot of the leverage. But, you know, the, the way it, the, the cap is looking to be set up um, in, in the next year or two, it's really going to be tough for guys to get those, those you know, those record-breaking and groundbreaking deals that, that, they're, that they're seeking to kind of reset the market. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. So we talked to I, I picked Bowser. You want you got any Bowser you want to talk about? Uh I think I think Jalen Ferguson, um I know he he was a guy that popped out a lot. Um and, and I think we we've we've kind of seen this, you know, in his a little bit of year plus. Just um he's really he's really, you know, excelled and, and progressed well as a as a as a setting the edge yeah. um in run situations. Um, I know he had a he had a really nice play um, on the Ravens sideline, kind of shedding the I believe it was the tackle and putting a nice um, a nice hit on Mixon into the sideline. He got a lot of you know helmet slaps and whatnot. Um, I know I think the the pass rush is still a work in progress. Um, I, I think coming into the league, he was a guy who really depended on his strength in that bull rush, and obviously um, you know the guys on the NFL level ha- have the strength to match up. Um, I I think he's still his his arsenal and his since his pass rush bag of tricks is still a work in progress. But in terms of, you know, being a good run defender, I think he's really progressing well. And um, I think in the past weeks, we've seen his snaps kind of indicate that as well. Yeah, I completely agree. 24 snaps in this game, six uh, tackles he was involved in. And I, I'm sorry, I think it's six wins as a run defender, which is remarkable total, by the way, for an outside linebacker. Very difficult to ever get that high. But I think back for this guy, this is the fifth game of 2020. If you look back five games from the end of 2019, he was yanked a game against San Francisco for not defending the edge well. And they had 35 minutes. They had their way with him as an edge setter before they pulled him and said, hey, we just can't do it anymore. Ward's in there for you now. And uh, I I still kind of remember the surprised look on his face when he left the field, but he improved last year as a run defender towards the end of the year. And he's just, he's completely upped his game over the offseason in terms of what he does against the run. Yeah, I agree definitely. with you. 
agree with your comments completely about the pass rush as well. Uh, hopefully he can learn more, you know, to be a violent hand player from a player like McPhee. You never know how much these guys really are willing to share, but um, it seems like a, you know, a logical guy to learn from is a, a guy like McPhee who uses his hands very well uh, to, to, to try and uh, teach Ferguson a few tricks. All right. Well, I guess we we need to talk about Marcus Peters because we didn't see him for a lot of the game, and that's usually a good thing on a cornerback. He wasn't targeted a lot. 26-yard throw on the outside early on was the Bengals' longest throw. He's a little bit soft on that, but that was one. And after that, he was just around the football. He obviously, uh, on the one quarterback hit by Clark, quarterback hit by Clark, yep, uh, where the ball got thrown up in the middle of the field by Burrow, he was, of course, right in position to be there. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of remarkable how seamless he's transitioned. Or he's kind of you know kind of gelled into this this off uh, sorry this defense um, since that midseason trade. And, and I think that now in his first full season, we're we're kind of just seeing you know now that he's settled, he knows everything. We're seeing um, it kind of open up. You know, I, I don't ever recall him doing the stuff he was doing you know, blitz wise. You know, it, with Kansas City or other Rams. So um, you know. You know, when you come to this team, you know you're you're not restricted to what you, what you did with past teams at all. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great fit for Peters because he is a gambler. The thing, you know, people have an inherent dislike for gamblers because I think they weigh more heavily the losses as opposed to the wins. I mean, this look, there's plenty of wins with Peters, but that's who he is. That's the that's the exchange you're making, and he doesn't have to succeed in a lot of those to make it be a very good gamble. Uh, oftentimes it's way less than 50% of the time he has to be right when he goes to, when he goes to try and make a play. But, of course, he gets toasted as soon as he misses one and gives him an extra 25 yards on the back end of that play. Uh, you know, I, I, I personally, I love it, and I think it fits extremely well here with a high-pressure defense that he can yeah. undercut a lot of routes. I was just about to say that exactly. I mean, we I think that... I think the the Chiefs game from week three, you know, two weeks ago, was probably the worst we, we've yes. seen we've seen of of the, of the gambling. Um, before you know, it might be a 20, 25 yard gain, but it's usually it's you know it's usually not that bad, just given the nature of this defense. And then he has that uh you know that kind of like that security blanket from the from the front seven. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it is, isn't it? You, usually, it's the back end that's a security blanket for the for the uh, for a pass rush that's not getting home, but not this time. This is really. He, he uses the aggressiveness of that pass rush. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Anybody else you want to hit on? I have Jimmy Smith on my list still. Can we talk about him for a second? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're seeing – well, I think coming into this year, it was definitely – it was uh, you definitely were kind of intrigued with the way that he was going to be used. Um, and they're, they're kind of using him as a, you know, a matchup just a matchup piece um, early in the year. We see or the first couple of weeks of the season, we see him kind of a more of a, a, a dime linebacker type role, you know, safety role close to the line of scrimmage um, covering tight ends. We saw him on Travis Kelsey a lot two weeks mm-hmm. ago. And now, like I said, with, um, you know, with them playing a lot of that 11 personnel and having those three wide receivers out, we see him as a, as a kind of back to his old role as a, as a outside cornerback, um, I think he played really well. I mean, obviously AJ Green. We talked about his situation, um, you know, not too not too long ago. But um, I think he did really well in coverage, and um, you know, I think we're gonna see we're gonna see this rotating rotate. We're gonna see him as kind of like a. I'm trying to think. I'm not a baseball guy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, or a utility player. You know, he can do a lot of different things on a week to week basis. 
Yeah, it's you know you make an interesting point there, and this is something I really want to talk about. Is I think the move back to outside corner is probably permanent right now, and the reason I think it is is because I think Gilchrist fits the need at safety that they had for a guy who can play the back end. I hope that guy was Geno Stone, but obviously for whatever reason the Ravens don't believe that he was ready for it, and they were willing to expose expose him to the waiver wire to do so. Um, so Gilchrist, not your typical practice squad player, I think we'll agree. Almost 32 years old. And, uh, you know, he's been in the league for 10 years. Uh, very unusual guy to have on your practice squad, but also a very experienced safety with uh, 125 games or maybe 127 games of NFL experience. Uh, it's, it's a good guy to have on the back end. It's a guy who, who is going to understand what the route concepts are and, and where his best chance is uh, to, to get in on play. Hopefully he has the instincts that he uh, and, and still some of the speed he had as a young man to really uh, contribute to that. Yeah, and like you said, it will be interesting to see if they do stick with that. Obviously, Anthony Averett played a career high. I think he may, I think he may have played around sixty snaps um, last last week as a or against Washington as an outside corner, and he was matched up against Terry McLaurin. I think they kind of picked on him a little bit. He didn't give up anything large, any large gains in coverage. But uh, that will be interesting to see how they how they treat that outside corner uh, role. Yeah, I don't I don't really have a problem with him. With Averett at all, so I don't want to. I don't want to yeah, make yeah. that thing. I think I think he's actually pretty good. The, the The problem is Smith is just too damn valuable as a fourth corner, and he has less injury risk out there. So if you put Smith at safety, even if you put him on the back end, there's going to be some hitting involved. I mean, hey, the the, the free safety is the last line of defense. If you you know has to make a number of tackles, corners do too, but they don't generally get involved in the run game. In fact, a lot of teams will just tell their corners, "Don't run into a multi-person pile because we, we don't want you in there and getting hurt." Yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, we usually do some stars of the week at this point, Dan. Do you want to play along and have a three-two-one list with me, or what do you want to do? Yeah, let's do a three-two-one as I, you know, three-three-two-two-one-one, or yeah, maybe. there you go. Three, you, you're you're <laughs> number three you. guy. Who, who you got? Oh, <laughs> uh, man, let's see. Um, number three. I know who I got at two is two and one. Uh, three. I mean, I'll go with Marlon Humphrey. Number three, just uh. Just once again, just kind of being around the ball again, sticking with that slot role. Um, he, he had a tough math, math matchup with Tyler Boyd, but um, I, I don't think he gave up too too much in the uh, coverage, and obviously, kind of the the hammer hammer on the nail at the end of the game, getting the another punch out. I just it's kind of like I said, remarkable again how he's able to do that just on a week to week basis. So uh, I, I think three I'll give to uh, Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, great choice. He had another great game and. Yeah, you know, he tried two punch outs before he got the got the one bingo or you know Yahtzee or whatever you want to call it when he when the ball came loose. But boy, though he, he's just got an absolute baseball bat for a right arm. It's just so much fun to see him use it, whether it's in pass defense or there. I'd really still like to see him more on the boundary. I don't think he's is is. Uh, assets are being as well used at slot corner. But one of the nice things about it is when he is at slot corner, there's more opportunities for these punch out plays. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're seeing a stat where, I mean, we're seeing more of the top receivers um, shifted shifted inside slot. There's obviously the league is passing more to slot receivers. So obviously his, his strong suit, he's naturally an outside corner, but I think mm-hmm. that obviously he has just tremendous value as well in the slot. All right, my number three guy is Marcus Peters. We talked about most of the things he did, but we didn't talk about the sack for a minute. Double outside corner blitz, him and Averett coming on this sack. And he was kind of pushed by the play. He did get the initial pressure, forced Burrow to step up in the pocket, but he was pushed by it. He kept the motor going just like Patrick Queen did, came back on the play from behind, knocked the ball loose, and uh, that ball trickled around for about 
touched by about what four or five Ravens before it went out of bounds. Yeah, you were waiting for somebody to pick it up. Um, you know, just kind of piggybacking off that. I, I mean, we talked about earlier how the last time we believe they did that was against the Rams last year. I think what really helps is um, you know, the, the Rams are often known to run that bunch. Or not mm-hmm. bunch, but that closed, um, you know, that tight formation with their with their with their receivers. I think that on that on that um, Peters blitz, we saw that as well. So obviously, it helps when you're, you know, you have a you have a shorter route to the quarterback there. Right. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, the, the receiver being as as a little little closer is makes it a little better. Dan, I'm going to tell you, I I believe those to be the only two times it's been done in Ravens history. I, do, I Martindale's only done it twice in three years. I know that for certain. I've I've have database of every play going back to the beginning. I certainly can't remember another. And if you look at the total number of times that outside corners blitzes, it's single digits per year, and often one or two or four if you're if you're working with Rex Ryan. Uh, you know, Samari Roll had a sack, but it wasn't a double corner blitz. I went back and I checked that one in 2006. Uh, you know, I've, I've, various things. I've, I, I've gone back to try and see if, if they've ever had other double corner blitz coming at the same time, but it just doesn't happen. It's it's the it's like the rarest of all football plays. It's uh, what would be the equivalent? Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, r- very rare football play. All right, uh, let's see. I, that was my number three guy, right, Peter? So you yeah. got no, your number two guy. Yeah, two. Uh, I'll go with Patrick Queen. Um, again, just the way he he's progressed. Um, real quick. I mean, real real quickly over the quarter and one game of the season. Um, you know, we I think that over the next eleven games, you'd love to see um a lot of improvement in that pass coverage and you know show him kind of get used to some of those uh, those combination rounds and whatnot. But just hit. I think. I mean, I'm trying to think. Is he a, is he a better blitzer? Is he better in run support? I think. Mm-hmm. I think right now it just blitzing is uh has really been his most valuable valuable attribute we saw how um lj fort was kind of used uh really successfully as a blitzer last year uh patrick owasso um you know he just picked up in that in that aspect as well yeah it's you know queen's ascent is unbelievable i i it's it's really hard to chart because you know a lot of players have a relatively slow growth rate of you know four or five percent better per year for a while until they hit you know an age where they start declining and 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 you know, Patrick Queen looks like he's improving by 20% per game, you know, kind of thing. It's like th- there's huge new revelations about him each week, and that's that's obviously something very exciting. Guy didn't have hardly any experience playing inside linebacker when the Ravens drafted him. Uh, you know, not even a full season worth of snaps at the college level. And, you know, it's just it's really exciting to see a guy progress as much as he has in these few weeks. So, um, you know, anyway, I, he was my number two guy as well. Uh, who's your number one? Uh, I think it has to go to Pernell McPhee. Um, like you said, he turned back the hands of time. Um, and 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 again, like I said before, I was just equally equally impressed as you know we we see him as kind of providing an interior pass rush. But I mean, he he did great, you know, on the edge as well and going one on one against against tackles. And you said, like you said, talking talking about using his hands and whatnot to to be able to get these big guys off of him. Uh, you know, he just had a, had a great game and hopefully, um, you know. I don't know if we'll see as many games just like we saw again on Sunday, but if he can provide some type of pass rush, especially inside, I think that that'll go a long way to helping the overall defense. Yeah, and that's and that's really when they need it most is on those third down plays and the and the dime package plays when he moves to the, uh, you know bumps to the inside instead of playing on the outside. So I just I, I was so happy to see it. You know, I, 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 
he's an older player, so in a sense, he's not a developmental guy. But another guy, it really makes you wonder, does he have another year left after this? I mean, hey, he could be around again. He could be a, a reasonable option. The Ravens are going to lose two Sam linebackers next year. McPhee's a rush linebacker, but he's also a very versatile, as you mentioned, interior piece as well to give you hopefully some rush in there, and the Ravens need that. Um, boy, it would, be, it would be really great if that would be a player who, who, uh, who could play another year at this point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we all know he was having a strong start to the season last year before that uh, that triceps injury against Seattle. So um, I think he's kind of starting to pick right up where he left. All right, Josh, what do we got in the mailbag? All right, we got a little bit in the mailbag that we're going to get to. I could not find the stat about the field goal in under a minute. Okay, oh, stat was not able to find that, but. Before- <laughs> Uh, right when we started recording, the NFL did announce that they will now be doing game day uh, PCR COVID testing for all players and key employees. Wow. Oh, interesting. So that's going to be interesting because that means we could see some scratches Sunday morning. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the mailbag. A lot of <laughs> – if there's a theme for the mailbag, it is people trying to figure out who the Ravens are. Okay, so if they're so, offensive so, identity questions, we're going to save them for tomorrow no. night. So we're going to go broad, and we're going to start with the, and we're going to focus on the defense today. There's not plenty. There's plenty of questions for the offense. We'll get to tomorrow. The defense. Let's start broad. Is this a Super Bowl caliber defense? Yes. I will say yes. Uh, all right. That's a, all right. There's a simple one. All right. Then they, they literally do everything. Well. I, let's just give this guy a little more credit for his question here. But they, they do everything well at all three levels. The only the only question is really about the pass rush. They're built front to sorry back to front. So because they spend less money on the pass rush itself, they're going to have to scheme for rush more than otherwise. And as we talked about earlier, you know the the the, the scheme that Martindale has thrown out there has generally been extremely good. Obviously, with the one exception being Mahomes and and how he carved apart, you know what Martindale threw at him. Yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna say the same thing. I mean, there's very few teams that are equipped to do what the Chiefs did. So I think that that's, I mean, if you're looking for one, uh, you know, sliver of optimism, I think that that's one that you can count on. All right, and like I said, we're gonna dig into this a little bit as we try to figure out who this team is, which brings us to Andrew wondering about the elephant in the room, the Chiefs. Baltimore defense has looked great the last two weeks, but the Kansas City offense has only looked pretty good, yet Kansas City demolished Baltimore. Was that just a bad matchup? Is it that we blitz too much? What can we do to stop Mahomes? I'll I'll start on this, Dan. I I mean, the Oakland did a lot of uh, laying back and letting him play in the cage, which is unusual. I think that the, the Ravens have usually gone after the quarterback, tried to make sure that their secondary is in the best possible position to get a pass that's thrown up. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of cover zero blitzes at the end of 2018 and at the end of 2019. Uh, so, so I thought that, you know, that's just the Ravens DNA and who they are. But does that mean I don't think they'll play differently the next time? I think they'll play very differently the next time against Mahomes. I don't think they'll grease up the, uh, with the same level of pass rush scheme at all after getting taken to the woodshed the way they were in this, in this game. Correct, and uh, and just kind of going back to the the Chiefs game before the Ravens game, they they played the Chargers. Um, the Chargers ran a lot of zone cover three, just making sure that nothing got over the top of them, and they relied on their front four, and they, they have a good front as well. So I think that, like you said, we'll see them play uh, play differently, but also you know, especially up front, you uh, you're gonna need to see better production from some of those guys. All right. 
pending tonight's game, the Ravens are the clear leader of the NFL in point differential. Is it just me? This is coming from Spencer. Or is the team clearly better than a lot of fans seem to realize? Is it elevated expectations from 2019? Yeah, I definitely think it's elevated, you know, expectations from 2019 when, when you have the regular season that they had and, um, you know, your season comes to an end the way it did. Obviously, you know, people are going to be clamoring for you to pick up where you left off. Um, I think obviously there's some new pieces, you know, you lost uh, Marshall Yanda and they're trying to incorporate some, some new pieces on the offense. Um, I think that, you know, I think that we're, we're kind of underestimating how good this team is. I think that they kind of sleepwalked, at least on offense, uh, through the Bengals game and they were able to beat them. I, I think that this is clearly, you know, one of the best you know, top five, if not a top two or three team in the league. Yeah, I mean, I in, in on both sides of the ball combined, I definitely agree. And, and, and including special teams in that. I'm not sure that they're a top three offense and I'm not sure it really matters that much. They were a historic offense last year. You, you couldn't have anything but expectations that were too high coming in if you're a Ravens fan because you never want to allow for any amount of regression to the mean. You know, for players, just the league having a lot more to figure out about Jackson than Jackson has to figure out about the league. Yeah. I mean, Jackson's so far ahead of everybody in, in, in terms of the league, but the, the league is, you know, has a lot of room to gain, and, and it's always the, the group that's behind you know, tends to make up more ground. Yeah, and obviously we're not going to see the the numbers per se that we saw mm-hmm. last year, but I mean if we're seeing them, um, you know, improve or maintain the the level that they played situationally, you know, third down, the way that they were converting drives and the time of possession on offense, you know, specifically, I, I think that that we'll, we can consider, uh, you know, this year a success and that they you know kind of improved in terms of their play. All right, so you guys are both saying it's a uh, that this is a great defense, Super Bowl caliber defense. Is anything missing from this defense? Can you tease J.J. Watt last week? You know, it'd be, it'd be fun. J.J. Watt would cost about $11.85 million, I think it is, or maybe it's slightly less than that because I think I had him figured for 13 weeks, but now it's 12 seventeenths of his salary. It has to be picked up, and then the whole thing next year. I don't think the Ravens will do it. I think it's probably too much injury risk for them, and it's too much COVID risk this year of the all things not playing out normally. And maybe, I think there's probably a a 90% chance there is a Super Bowl. Okay, that, but that's, I can't give it 100 right now, but I'm going to say 90. But I think there's only probably a 75% chance that the season works out the way the Ravens expect in terms of having all their pieces together, all their players together at the right time to make their Super Bowl push. So I think you got you to gotta take that into account. And I'm, I'm, I'm layered, that's the additional layered COVID risk and not just the normal injury risk that every team faces every year. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean, I see that for the most part, this is the the team that we see right now is the team that we're gonna see, you know, for the rest of the season. For you know, barring any any injuries, I don't think that there are any glaring glaring weaknesses that we like we saw last year, where you had to bring in a Josh Bonds or a mm-hmm. OJ Ford to kind of shore up any shore up any position. If anything, you know, it's just kind of all those pieces coming together and getting better as the season progresses. Yeah, you know, in a sense, I I look at the Marcus Grillcrist move as being very much like. Demata Pecco, or or very much like LJ Ford or Josh Bynes. I mean, it's even it's fewer snaps, but they're very important snaps because it's the dime defense. That's that's your that's your closer, you know, for the for the defense. They have to get the other team off the field, you know, a high percentage of the time. So I, I'm I'm uh, optimistic anyway about about where the Ravens are. I think there'll be more of the small moves. I just don't see I don't see any big moves. Yeah, same here. 
All right, that's the mailbag. Remember to get in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter and get in all your offensive questions about Lamar and his struggles because we'll go over that in, in detail tomorrow. Uh, Dan, how can people follow you on Twitter? Obviously, they can read your writings over at The Sun and uh, BaltimoreSun.com. Yeah. Anything else to promote? Yeah, just my Twitter, um, my first and last name, Daniel Oyafusi, O-Y-E-F-U-S-I, and then obviously Baltimore Sun, BaltimoreSun.com. All right, and Ken, you'll definitely be tagging Daniel as this podcast is out over on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. And Dan, you know, want to want to just say I've really enjoyed the Suns coverage. I'm still one of those old fogies who likes to get up and read the newspaper. A lot of people read it online now. I'm told yeah. we still get it. You know, at our home, it's kind of, kind of weird, but we do. And it's a big deal when the paper gets here and I hear the slap out at 4:30 because I'm still up, and then, and then I run out and get it and I have my cereal and whatnot. But the 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 thing I want to say about it was I think the writing at the Sun is at a very high level right now, which is which is hard to do, I think, in print journalism to get good people. But maybe one of the things you're getting is you're getting, you know, some some younger folks probably, but but just some very good analysts to look at the game. I, I've, I've really enjoyed what Jonas has done in terms of his technical level. I like your writing too. Uh, I think that some of the stuff that Childs puts together for the game is good. Anyway, I've, I've really enjoyed it all, and I'm, I'm enjoying the sun more than I have in a long time. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. How much do uh, Daniel? How much do you and Jonas argue over Mike Preston's grades when he puts them out? <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this. Mike actually actually checks him with me. He doesn't check him with Jonas. So I mean, when you see the grades, that's a little bit of my my Ooh, my, my, okay. <laughs> my my flavor going into that. All right. So I should hit you on Twitter because I bet Mike Preston doesn't even have a Twitter account. He does have a Twitter account, but he He's he doesn't check that. it as much as me. Okay. <laughs> All right, I know those are always. I always enjoy the Mike Preston grades because no one's ever happy with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's always causes a lot of conflict. Yeah. Ken, uh, tomorrow night we've got the offensive podcast. Who's joining us then? Tomorrow night is Michael Crawford for the offensive pod. So everybody's always excited for that. Always one of our favorite guests. All right, that one will be out around two a.m. Two a.m. on on Tuesday morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, Wednesday morning. Uh, Wednesday morning. You know, because we we'll start recording at ten, and with Michael, you guys will oh. go until one. So it's a, it's a Ooh. pre-complaint. Actually, we move that show up to nine thirty recording for just that reason. I'm told <laughs> to to have, give you okay. the editing time you right, need. But you're right. We're both talkers, Dan. You, yeah, you that, obviously that, got a fine. piece of that tonight. Sorry about that, buddy. It's all good. That'll that'll be a uh, that'll be a great show. I'm excited to get Michael in here. It's always it's always. Those shows go long because it's always great content. When Michael Yeah, I mean, what do you have that cot in your studio for anyway if it's not to take a little nap during our show? Uh, well, I did check my phone earlier today because I thought that uh, Indiana was in, like, the central time zone. So I thought I was gaining <laughs> some extra time. Turns out they're in East Coast City. Uh, I don't know my geography. <laughs> yeah, I don't either, so you're, so. All, you're all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we also have the article up on the website now. Breaking down the defense and going into a lot more detail, as well as the Situation Room came out with a new episode on Monday morning. Remember, you can follow them on Twitter and spot or on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as FilmStudyBaltimore.com to listen to Gabe and uh, Jordan do a great podcast over there. We're, we're still working on a Know Your Foe guest for Wednesday for the Eagles. We have By the Numbers coming up on Thursday with Dan Reese. That'll be uh, out either late Thursday or early Friday for your podcast enjoyment, too. Give that one a chance, guys. The numbers on that, very fast-paced, 10 or 15-minute total pod, but there's a lot of very dense information in there that I think people will like. 
Yeah. Plenty of content to get fill up your uh, podcast player. We've got something every day for you, so make sure you're always checking that out. So. And there's also there's a new Section 336 out now as well if you want to get in a little Orioles talk. There's some Ravens talk in there too, but not as detailed All as Instructional this. League stuff? A little Fall Instructional League, a little bit of off-season moves, preparing for what 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 did we learn from a 60-game season? Did we learn anything or was it too short? Uh, and all of that type of stuff. So check out Section 336 for some Orioles talk. So, all right, guys. Well, we will talk again soon. <laughs>